0: We'll take our text this morning from the book of Ephesians, and we'll read just a few verses here. We'll look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities You'll notice in this portion of Scripture here, you see a word repeated several times, and that is the word stand. Paul mentions it three times, and he mentions the word to withstand once, all in four verses. And we see here, too, that he was instructing the church in Ephesus. He was talking about spiritual battle or spiritual warfare And it's interesting, the one position he kept repeating over and over was the position of standing or to stand. He didn't say anything about pursuing the enemy or fighting or even retreating, but he said to stand. So we realize the most important position we can take in our spiritual battle is to stand. We've all heard the saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That is true. So we want to stand for something. We just want to make sure that we're standing for the right thing. And we'll look at what that means. We'll take a look at standing from a biblical perspective. We'll actually consider three aspects of standing. We'll look at standing still, standing fast, or standing out, or standing apart. Or you might say standing up for the Lord we know that standing requires a solid foundation. And we read in Luke chapter 6 verse 47 through 49. This is a parable that Christ told and he tells us what that foundation is. It says, "And why, excuse me, 47 through 49. Luke 6:47 through 49. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like." He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." So we see the Lord lets us know what that foundation is. It is the word of God, or as Christ said, my sayings. And he also lets us know how we are to get on that foundation. We do that through faith and surrender and obedience to the Lord. Again, verse 47, he says, Whosoever cometh to me, that is surrender. And heareth my sayings. That is faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and doeth them. So there is the obedience. So we can see it's through surrender, through faith and obedience. That's how we get on that solid foundation. Let's us know there are two types of people. Those that heareth and doeth and those that hear and do not. Matthew gives us the same account in chapter 7 and reminds us. Speaking about both circumstances or both situations, it says that the rain descended and the floods came. So we can see that no one is immune to the storms of life. The wise as well as the foolish, the faithful as well as the disobedient. We're all subject to the storms of life. But we know the ability to endure to stand during those Times of trial it has nothing to do really with our circumstances, but it has everything to do with our foundation. So we want to make sure we're on that solid foundation, that rock. Christ Jesus, Second 2 Timothy 2.9 tells us, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. When we're standing on that foundation, that standeth sure, we will be able to withstand the storms of life. So again, we're anchored to that foundation through faith and obedience. We read God's instructions in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. He commanded the people to stand still. It says, And Moses said unto the people, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more Forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Sometimes the Lord may say, stand still. That's probably the most difficult thing to do, especially when we're in the middle of a battle. It's hard to stand still. You know, the Lord won't always command us to stand still, obviously, If you're in a situation or a circumstance and you know there's something you can do and you should do and the Lord expects you to do something, He's not going to say stand still. He's going to probably say get moving. But there are times when we may find ourselves in a situation where we're totally helpless. We're hemmed in and we really have nowhere to go. We've exhausted all of our resources. You know, that's a difficult place to be, but that's exactly where the children of Israel found themselves. They found themselves hemmed in says that the Red Sea was in front of them and the wilderness was to the right and to the left and the enemy was behind them. Literally hemmed in, no way out. But they didn't realize it was God that had brought them there in the first place. Exodus 13, 18 says, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. God brought them to a place where he knew the situation would be out of their hands. He led them to this place. Maybe there's times in our lives where we've experienced that. Maybe you're in a time like that now where you literally find yourself in a situation where you feel hemmed in and there's no way out but up. The good news is God is never boxed in. God is never hemmed in. God is never limited by our circumstances or our surroundings. He may be limited sometimes by our lack of faith, but certainly uh, God is never trapped and sometimes he may just tell us, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In verse 14, he told them, he says, The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. You find it easy to hold your peace? How about in the middle of a conflict? It's not easy to hold our peace. Sometimes we want to say things and do things and take matters into our own hands, but the Lord was telling them, stand still, hold your peace, and see the salvation of the Lord. You know, the Lord can't fight our battles for us if we keep getting ourselves in the way. Sometimes by taking up the fight ourselves, we actually prolong the battle. But we see here, by standing still, they saw the Lord take out the entire Egyptian army in one single day. The Lord took care of a 400-year-old problem in one day, because they were willing to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Maybe today is the day when the Lord will bring you victory. If you're willing to stand still, let the Lord do it. If that's what he commands, then we want to certainly stand still. That means to stop, proceed no further, turn the battle over to the Lord, and God can bring us through. He's promised to. Also, we see the commandment to stand fast. Galatians 5, one says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. To stand fast means to remain faithful, firm, fixed, settled, a position of no compromise. That's what it means to stand fast. Paul here was writing to the church in Galatians, and this was comprised of both Jewish and Gentile believers. And, you know, they've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. They had uh, recognized the price that Christ paid, and they realized that it was faith alone in Christ that saved them. But, unfortunately, over time, some of those Jews felt like they needed to go back and place themselves under that old law. And not only that, but they were trying to impose those same restrictions on these new Gentile believers. They were trying to earn salvation by works and yet receive it by faith. And it didn't work that way. They were trying to impose all these Old Testament restrictions on them. So Paul was reminding them, you know, circumcision and observing certain feasts and holy days that had nothing to do with their salvation. They were saved through Jesus' blood. That was their liberty. He dealt with that same issue in Rome. In Romans 8, verse 3 and 4, he said, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, he was reminding them that law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ, but when Christ came, He fulfilled that old law, and we're free in Christ. We don't have to be bound by the law, he also said, if you think you're justified by the law, then you're fallen from grace. you know salvation isn't based on what you do, it's in who you know. He was trying to emphasize that fact to them. obviously good works will follow salvation, but that wasn't it wasn't keeping the law that saved him. it was the blood of Jesus that had saved them and set them free. But you know he could have just as well been saying to those that were recently saved, Don't return to that old bondage of sin. Jesus saves us and he sets us free, but Jesus can keep us free. If we're we're willing to remain steadfast and faithful in that salvation that the Lord has given us, we won't be entangled again with that old yoke of bondage whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So we can remain free by remaining steadfast in the salvation that the Lord has given us next thing we would consider, the last thing, is what it means to stand out or to stand apart, to stand up for the Lord. In our scripture reading in Psalm 1, verse 1, it tells us there are three things that the godly man will not do. He won't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He won't stand in the way of sinners, and he won't sit in the seat of the scornful. You know, sometimes by simply refusing to Stand with sinners. Sometimes by refusing to go along with the culture, we will automatically stand out. I heard a story the other day about a woman who called her husband on the cell phone. He just left the house. He was an older gentleman, and he was driving to the store. And she called him, and she said, I've been watching the news, and there's a report of a crazy man driving down the expressway, the wrong way. Be careful. And he said, listen, they're all going the wrong way. Obviously, he was going the wrong way, but he thought everybody else was going the wrong way. Well, sometimes as Christians, we may feel like that. We may feel like the rest of the world is going the wrong way. And, you know, in fact, they probably are. Jesus tells us there's two ways. There's the broad way and the narrow ways. Is that broad way uh, leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. But then he mentions that narrow way, that narrow gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. But we want to find it. We want to be among the few. We want to stay on that course. We want to remain steadfast. These roads do not run parallel. They run opposite of one another. One old time preacher said, when you stop being in collusion with the enemy, you'll be in collision with him. Well, that's true. We aren't living by the same code of ethics or the same set of rules or the same standards. And we have a different destination in mind. And sometimes it will be like going against the flow. But we want to remain steadfast, stable. We want to stand up for the Lord. You know, God's word gives us some wonderful encouragement about what it means to stand for the Lord. Second Timothy 3, it tells us that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's one way to avoid persecution. Just don't live godly. Of course, that's not an option for the Christian. And he goes on to warn us. He says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But then he says, continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, just continue in the faith and that liberty where Christ set you free. If you've been saved and you're on that solid foundation, just continue. God will help you. First Peter 4.16, it tells us, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You know, people may suffer a lot of things and for a lot of different reasons. If you're suffering because you're belligerent or you're rude or you're insubordinate on the job or you're combative, well, too bad. (laughs) You deserve it. You have it coming. But it says, if a man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. When you suffer for the cause of Christ, Jesus is glorified. Verse 13 of that same chapter says, When we are partakers in Christ's sufferings, we're to rejoice. Why? It says, Because when Christ's glory is revealed, that means when he comes back for his bride, we'll be glad also with exceeding joy. It tells us that if we're willing to suffer with Christ, we'll rule and reign with him. Verse 14 says, If we're approached for Christ, we're to be happy. Again, and it tells us why, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon Him. So when we're ever reproached for the name of Christ, Jesus is glorified in us. That ought to make enduring it a little bit easier. If the Lord, we know He's being glorified. If we suffer for righteousness' sake, He says, Blessed are they who suffer persecution for my sake. Well, we may face some of that if we're going to stand up for the Lord. Verse 19, it tells us that we can trust the Lord with the keeping of our souls. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing as unto a faithful creator. Again, it says suffering according to the will of God. But we can trust the Lord to keep us. He'll keep us on that uh, solid rock, on that steady path, that road that leads to heaven. You know, if we're willing to stand up for Jesus, the Lord will stand up for us. The Bible tells us that. But he'll stand for us on that day when it will matter the most. Again, in our scripture reading, it talks about the godly man and the wicked man. And it compares the two. It says the godly man, the one who won't stand with sinners, it says he'll be like a tree planted by the waters and... Everything he does will prosper. His leaf won't wither, and he'll stand, and he'll remain standing. But the ungodly aren't so. They're like that chaff which the wind drives away. The ungodly, the one who won't stand for anything, it says, he won't stand in the judgment nor in the congregation of the righteous. The only way to stand in that day is to stand in this day. We want to determine that. We're going to get on that rock if you're here this morning and you're unsaved. I would encourage you, get your feet planted on that solid rock. Get headed in that right direction and determined to stand for the Lord. If the Lord says to stand still, we need to wait and let him fight for us. Let's do that. We want to be steadfast. We want to stand fast and we want to stand up for the Lord. You know, standing can be difficult. Certainly, we know that especially if we're standing for a prolonged periods of time. The world record for standing still and in one place is 61 hours. You're free to challenge that if you want to. It's a long time to stand still and in one place. But you know, sometimes as Christians, you may be standing, you may feel like you've been standing for a long time. Maybe you've been standing for 61 years. That's okay, we want to continue to stand. It takes endurance, it takes determination. I like what I think Brother Ryan said. It takes godly grit. Well, we want to do that, but if we're determined to stand, the Lord will help us to stand. And if we're standing on that rock, we want to continue to stand. And the word of God tells us how we can do that. First Corinthians ten, seventeen. It gives us a warning. It says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth. Take heed, lest he fall. So we need to understand we're not doing this in our own strength. Every day we get up, we say, Lord, give me the strength. Give me the grace to stand. Even if it means enduring persecution, Lord, help me to stand and God will help you to stand. And then again in our text, Ephesians chapter 6 gives us some instructions. Tells us to put on a whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand. It says to take on, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand. And then it says, once you've done this, having done all to stand, have you put on the whole armor of God? Are you availing yourselves of those gifts and those uh, blessings that the Lord has promised? If you're not saved, you need to be saved. Have you been sanctified? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? This is all part of this armor that the Lord is speaking of here. And it says, we need to do this in order that we may stand. I'll tell you, in this fight against the enemy, I want every bit of uh, resources and strength God has for me. And we want to make sure we're putting on the whole armor of God. And then it says, having done all this, then to stand. If you need some of that equipment, some of that armor it's available today, the Lord can help you to put on the whole armor of God. And you know, in closing, Jesus gives us a wonderful promise. In Jude, verse 24 and 25, it says that Jesus is able to keep us from falling, and He's able to present us faultless before His Father with exceeding joy. That's good news. That day is going to happen very soon. The Lord will help you to stand if you're struggling or you're discouraged or maybe you, uh, feel like you're facing something. You don't know what to do. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Determine in your heart today, Lord, I'm going to stand for you. The Lord will, uh, stand for us. God will bless you today. Let's come and pray. The song is 730. These altars are open.